Hey, Maddie. Hey, Kiara. I have a little quiz for you. I'm sitting here with a list of the most dangerous jobs in America in front of me. Can you name them? Hmm. Um, firefighters, miners, uh, maybe doctors who travel overseas, deep sea fishermen and women, and truck drivers. Yeah, I mean, it includes some of those, um, definitely. But there are also some really surprising ones, like refuse and recyclable material collectors. So basically, trash collectors. Loggers have the most dangerous job, followed oh, by yeah, fishermen and then pilots. But the one that's relevant to today's episode is number six on the list, farmers and ranchers. Oh, well, I guess they do deal with a lot of heavy machinery. Yeah, so Politico actually had a piece a few months back about how dangerous farming is, and it said farmers are nearly twice as likely to die on the job as police officers are, five times as likely as firefighters, and 73 times as likely as Wall Street bankers. Well, then it makes sense farmers would be really concerned about health care. I'm Maddie Oatman, here with Kira Butler, and you're listening to Bite, the podcast for people who think hard about their food. On this episode, we're going to hear a whole lot more about why access to affordable healthcare has everything to do with what you eat for dinner. Kira talks to Helena Bademiller-Evich, a fantastic food and agriculture reporter from Politico who helps write the Morning Ag newsletter. And after that, we'll get to the really pressing matter of the day. We have a very important story about tomatoes. Specifically, we have Francis Lamb, the new host of the Splendid Table podcast with a hot tip on making tomato butter. But first, let's hear about what's on farmers' minds. What's going to happen if I get hurt or sick? That's a question that most of us are thinking a lot about these days as the Trump administration tries its darndest to dismantle the Affordable Care Act, which a lot of people depend on for health insurance. Well, one group that often gets left out of these conversations is farmers. And it turns out that they are very worried about whether or not they'll be able to afford to take care of themselves, and for good reason. Here to explain why is Helena Bademiller-Evich, a food and agricultural reporter at Politico. Helena, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, happy to be here. So you wrote about this recent survey about how farmers are feeling about access to affordable health care. It's something we've all been thinking about lately. But farmers are a little bit different from the rest of us. Um, can you say a little bit about what that survey found? You know, it's really interesting because I've been covering food and ag policy for several years and I have to admit, I've never written a healthcare story. It's not something I hear farmers talking about a whole lot. The agriculture groups that represent them in Washington don't bring it up all that often. Uh, but I think what's interesting about this survey, which was done by the University of Vermont and a rural group out of the University of Chicago, is that they found that farmers are pretty worried about healthcare. Uh, they're worried about healthcare costs. Uh, they're worried about what risks not having health care brings to your family business. So uh, the survey found that more, about three-fourths of farmers uh, actually count health insurance as part of their risk management strategy for their farms. It found that almost half of them are worried they'd have to sell off you know, land or other assets to pay for health care costs uh, when push comes to shove. So those are some pretty significant findings that, you know, just because we're not hearing about it in Washington, that this is 
a pretty deep concern that farmers have. Right. And what's really interesting about this is what sets farmers apart, because a lot of us are really anxious about uh, health insurance right now and health care in general. Um, but farmers are in a particularly, um, I would say, vulnerable situation. Could you say a little more about that? Yeah, farmers, uh, well, they're older than than the rest of us. Uh, on average, they're, uh, they tend to have uh, more pre-existing conditions. I think about two-thirds of farmers in this survey said they had pre-existing conditions. They're in rural uh, health insurance markets, which tend to just have fewer options. There are fewer people. So uh, I found some pretty crazy statistics from, um, I think it's the Kaiser Family Health Foundation, that 41% of rural residents, so that's broader than just farmers, but a lot of farmers live in rural areas naturally. 41% of rural residents have only one plan on the exchanges to choose from. So obviously that's not a very competitive market. They're going to face just higher prices due to less competition. So they have older uh, just citizens, more pre-existing conditions, less competition. They also are in really dangerous line of work. People may not think about farming being a dangerous line of work, but they have a pretty high rate of of injury and even accidental death um, compared to other, you know, they're up there with jobs like mining and fishing. So a lot of farmers have, you know, back pain or a missing finger, and they have things that they have to deal with just like the rest of us, but probably more exacerbated just because of the physical nature of their work. And interestingly, um, this survey also found that most farmers actually do have health insurance. They're better insured than the general population. Um, why is that? That was something that really surprised me in this story. Uh, Farmers actually were better insured than the rest of the population uh, when the Affordable Care Act was passed. I think it was nine, a little over 90% of them had health insurance uh, before the ACA. And I think the rest of the population was a little lower than that, maybe 83, 84%. So they were already kind of self-insuring or making sure their, their families had insurance at a higher rate. And there's a couple of reasons why that probably is the case. So farming in general is just a very risky business. I mentioned earlier that it's dangerous. It's also just risky in terms of, you know, prices can swing. So, you know, there can be extreme weather. There's a lot of things that are out of farmers' control. And so to think about the risks associated with an injury or a really, you know, serious illness, adding on those risks to their business, I think they're more sensitive to risk. So they were proactively making sure their families had insurance. And interestingly, most farm households get their health insurance through like a spouse having an off-farm job or the farmer actually having an off-farm job. So they were finding ways to kind of leverage other forms of health care um, in ways to make sure that their businesses weren't having one more uh, I guess, risk factor. So that's really interesting to me that um, they're, they're really relying on um, a job other than their job on their farm for the health insurance, which sort of suggests that they're not able to put all of their family's energy into the farm itself. So what kinds of implications does that have for, you know, the future of farms in America if, you know, at least one member of the family on the farm is working outside of the farm? Yeah, this is something that came up a lot when I was reporting this story, especially uh, National Farmers Union and uh, the National Young Farmers Coalition, they're really worried about that exact issue, that if farmers, farm households are so reliant on off-farm uh, employment for their insurance, uh, 
how many farmers are, you know, new and beginning farmers are really going to go that route if they're not able to support uh, their families and buy insurance off of a, you know, a market like other self-employed people do? If they're not able to do those things, like, what, you know, what, who would be kind of crazy enough to go that route? They're not looking in the horizon and seeing uh, really great options. So for young and beginning farmers in particular, uh, the Affordable Care Act has been probably more key for those groups because they're lower income, they have fewer assets to fall back on, you know, they're just getting started out. So uh, the National Young Farmers Coalition, they actually weren't even, they didn't even exist when the ACA was passed, but now they're super engaged on this. They're on the Hill making the case that, you know, especially rural communities and beginning and young farmers need to be considered as Congress looks to try to make changes. Well, and it's especially striking because uh, I think the average age of the American farmer at this point is something like 58. Yeah, it's high, old. High 50s. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. not that old, so, but, you know, you know, it's older than the, the <laughs> kind of the average population of the workforce, for sure. Right, exactly. And, you know, you worry about if there are so many risks, health insurance being just one among them, um, that are preventing younger farmers from um, taking the place of this older generation, then who is going to run our farms in the future? It's a really big question. And just to give uh, folks kind of a, an idea of what we're talking about, I was talking to a an established farmer uh, out west uh, earlier today, actually, and uh, they told me that their family's paying fifteen hundred dollars a month. Uh, family of five paying fifteen hundred dollars a month for um, for health insurance, and they have an extremely high deductible. So it's not you know it's not even a it's not a great plan, and doesn't cover um, thing you know a lot of the services they need at the at high levels. So. Um, that you know, if you're a beginning farmer and you're thinking, let's say you have a couple of kids, you're you're facing a lot of financial barriers, not just to access to land and access to capital, and you know, trying to figure out learning how to farm, which is incredibly uh, difficult, requires a lot of luck, creativity, and experience. You're not you're trying to figure out all those things, and then on top of it, really expensive insurance, where you maybe are lucky to have one or two options to buy, you know, it's just a, it's an, a, a, it's like insult to injury, right? On top of, of an already just tough landscape. So I have to ask, um, many parts of farm country voted mostly for Trump. So did anyone that you talked to for the story have a sense of whether farmers' opinion of him has changed at all um, as the Trump administration has tried to dismantle the ACA? You know, healthcare is such a complicated topic and really has become so toxic that a lot of the farmers I talk to, you know, they think the ACA uh, is broken because coverage has gotten less competitive in rural markets. So unless you're um, being benefited by something like the Medicaid expansion, you might not be feeling like the ACA is doing much for you. Or if, you know, if you didn't, you weren't personally benefiting from, uh, you know, the making sure insurers couldn't not sell plans to people with pre-existing conditions. If those weren't things that you felt personally, you might think the ACA is broken and not working because you just saw your costs go up. So I didn't talk to anyone who was like, man, now I, you know, I voted for Trump and now I'm not for him because of health care. I think uh, farmers don't think you know, at least the ones I talked to don't think the ACA is working. They do think it needs to be tweaked. But really, they would like to see much more discussion of how 
uh, Congress is going to fix this problem for rural communities. And you really don't hear a lot of discussion about that. Um, And I don't think anyone I spoke to had a lot of faith that Congress is really going to come up with a solution that uh, makes things better in their communities. So I think they're more focused on what Congress is going to do. And I, I have to say, I've still yet to meet a single Trump voter who has admitted to me, at least, that they regret their vote. I have not heard a lot of that. So that's just a side note. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on Bite, Helena. This was great. Yeah, thanks for having me. That was Kira Butler talking to Politico's Helena Bottomiller-Evich. Kira also spoke to a dairy farmer in Wisconsin named Tina Hinchley. Tina milks 130 cows twice a day and farms 2,500 acres of crops. Plus, she has four kids. So it's really important for her to be in top physical condition. Well, about a decade ago, Tina and her family found themselves in a really scary situation. The headaches were really, really bad. I got to the point where I was seeing black spots in my vision. Something was definitely wrong. You can read more about Tina's story at motherjones.com. Next, you're going to hear a quick and easy yet gourmet tomato recipe for something called tomato butter. And that's from former top chef judge Francis Lamb. Now, I'm not much of a cook, but this recipe seriously sounds so delicious and easy that I might just try it this weekend. It is the height of tomato season right now, after all. Yeah, you're not going to want to miss this. But first, a word from our sponsors. So our co-host Tom was recently in a little bit of a dining pickle. So he called up Francis Lamb. Francis is a former judge of Top Chef Masters, and he's also the new host of the Splendid Table podcast. One of the things that um, I've always loved about the Splendid Table, and I've noticed that you're keeping it up um, in in your episodes of the Splendid Table right now, um, is the point when people call in and they ask for advice about what to do with this or that ingredient. And um, Lynn Rosetta Casper did it beautifully, and you're already doing it beautifully. And I thought, since I have you on the phone, maybe I would ask you um, something like that. And, <laughs> and so here's, here's my question, if you don't mind. Um, so I'm back here in North Carolina and Western North Carolina on this farm where I worked for seven years, and I'm visiting for the week. Um, and I've got a lot of stuff going on. And I, this is a true story. I'm not making this up. Uh, I, I just got news that we're going to have seven people over tonight. Um, and it's been a very cold spring in this area, so there's not a lot of fresh food coming off. And so here's what I got, Francis. I've got um, some canned tomatoes, really nice canned tomatoes from the farm from last year. I've got some ground pork. Um, I've got a couple of kohlrabis. Um, that came from a farm a little bit to the south of us. It's got a you know a bit warmer of a climate, um, and you know a, a, a basic pantry: olive oil. I've got rice. I've got pasta. Um, what would you do? How would you throw these things together into something that would please people? Okay, how fancy are the people who come over? Not fancy. These are yeah, just um, you know most of them are are very old friends, and yeah, they're they're not like over here to get a, some gourmet meal. I just want something that's gonna taste really good and and you know sort of put forth that generosity of spirit that I think you em- embody so much. 
<laughs> all right. Well, okay. And can I assume you have plenty of all of these things? Yeah, there's no shortage of any of these things. Okay, this is what I would do. And you got time, right? You got some time on your hands? I don't have a whole lot of time. Okay. Um, let's say um, an hour of active prep time. Okay, let's, we're gonna, let's make this work. All right, let's make this work. So what I would say is I think the obvious thing when you have tomatoes and you ground pork and you have a vegetable is, hey, you can make a really delicious ragu, um, you know, some kind of, you know, just stew that pork in, that, in those tomatoes and serve it with pasta and you're good. What I would say is that's a great choice and you should totally go ahead and do that if you don't have – if you know, if that's, that just seems like a direct path to having people at your table. But that was my plan before I um... – I th- got the idea of bringing this to you. <laughs> it is a great plan. It is a great plan. But let me suggest an alternative. Okay. I would say you have bread, right? Yes. Okay, great. This is what I would suggest. You take a bunch of those tomatoes, puree them, pour them out onto a sheet tray, set your oven at like, I don't know, 350. Pour the tomatoes on a sheet tray, maybe a couple of sheet trays, so, so it's not really like a whole ton of tomatoes on each sheet tray, like fairly, yeah, 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 fairly light, and just bake them, stir them once in a while, a little salt, sure, olive oil, maybe some herbs, you know, the whole shebang if you want to do it, flavor them up if you want, but not too, too much, because what you want to do is you get those tomatoes down to almost like a jam-like consistency, right, where like literally it's a jam, because I'm going to have you spread it on bread. So when it gets really nice and tight, um, normally I do this in a pan and stir and stir and stir and for hours and literally for hours. And uh, the first time I did it for who was then a friend and now is my wife, I said, you got to taste what I just made. And she's like, oh, what'd you do? And I described it to her and she's like, oh, you made tomato paste. It's cheap and comes in cans. Right. <laughs> nice <laughs> but, <job. laughs> but if you make this stuff with good tomatoes, it is unreal, right? So basically, I'm trying to get you a hack where you can do that without having to sit right. there, stare so for you're it. cutting out a serious amount of time. Yeah, because you're spreading on that tray and it's going to evaporate and be like a nice jammy consistency. And then when it gets nice and tight, I want you to take it out, let it cool. And I want you to throw it in a food processor with a little bit of butter just to get a, a, a tomato butter going. Because tomatoes and fat really, like, fat brings out the flavor of tomatoes, right? It's freaking amazing. Yeah. That, like, that famous, like, Marcella Hazan, like, that famous Marcella Hazan tomato su- sauce where literally the whole sauce is you open a can of tomatoes. Yeah. <laughs> you put, like, a stick of butter in it, and you cut an onion in half and just put it in and cook it for 45 minutes, and that's the entire recipe. Like, that's internet famous for a reason, right? So, okay. So, yeah. So you're whipping that into a tomato butter. Meanwhile, you're going to season your pork with just some salt. I'm, I'm assuming because it's you and you're on the farm, it's delicious pork. You don't want to do too, too terribly much to it. I would season that ground pork with some salt and just sear it off, get it nice and brown, you know, just kind of like scrape it up a little bit. So, so it's nice and like, you know, not too cooked, but a little crumbly. And I'm going to ask you to toast up that bread, smear on that tomato butter, throw that pork on top. And with the kohlrabi, I would... Uh, shred it up, season up like a simple salad, maybe a little bit of herb, either on the side or on top of that, and just have people go to town. That was Francis Lamb talking tomato butter. His recipe used canned tomatoes, but obviously in the middle of summer, there's no reason not to use fresh tomatoes instead. 
And that is our show for today. Jenny Luna is our podcast fellow. Seth Samuel is our sound editor and our theme song composer. Byte is a production of Mother Jones, a reader-supported nonprofit news organization and the 2017 Magazine of the Year.